Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, founder and CEO of Dallas-based consulting firm Louder Co. There's so many great people innovating in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This podcast aims to highlight them, the amazing things they're doing, and get behind the scenes on their approach and on them personally. At my company, Louder Co., we're the innovation specialists business leaders turn to when their organization must perform better. Artificial intelligence, business transformation, and venture building projects are usually very stressful. Not with us. We believe your business will soon begin losing without an AI strategy. We create AI strategies to accelerate operations and create revolutionary new technology products. We do that because we're tired of seeing businesses that keep letting bad operations kill their growth. Through change initiatives like creating innovation hubs, improving processes, and instilling technologies, we transform companies to perform better and grow faster. Our gift to you for listening is access to our free Intro to Artificial Intelligence Guide. We hit on what is AI, where's it going, and how to get it into your business. Get that free guide at louderco.com slash intro to AI. We look forward to serving you. Visit us at louderco.com for more information, insightful content, and ways to schedule our first conversation. Thank you for listening and on to our show. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Show presented by Louderco. I'm Andrew Louder. So glad to have our special guest today, Michael Llewellyn, CEO of Tarski Technologies, and really one of the go-to guys in blockchain, um, particularly here in Dallas, but nationwide. So really excited to have him on the show. Hopefully he can describe for us what blockchain is and in ways that we can understand it. Um, welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I know it's uh, blockchain's been on the minds of a lot of uh, innovators, a lot of technologists um, here in just recent years. But for a lot of us, they're just not sure uh, really what it is. So we'll love to jump into that and learn more about you. But um, yeah, let's let's get into it. How about tell me just like a good one to two minute bio? You know, tell me about yourself, some of your accomplishments, and what you're doing today. Sure thing. So I mean, I've started out in blockchain and really. Back then, cryptocurrency, was, we really wasn't talking about blockchain, but that was back in uh, 2012, 2013. And so that was when I started working on uh, mining. So I was in high school, school computers, mm-hmm. uh, realized that, hey, there's these programs you can basically run uh, that will generate this thing called Bitcoin for you. And I was like, okay, great, I'll give this a try. Uh, spent a couple of lunch periods doing that and realized, hey, I've got a bunch of Bitcoin. It seems to be valuable. I can look at a marketplace. I can see the price. That's, this is really interesting. Uh, so I started going to uh, Bitcoin meetups here in Dallas that were very new. Uh, and I was lucky because my dad was an IT consultant, still is, and taught me a lot about how to set up computers, how to work with uh, technology. And uh, at the same time, everyone was looking to essentially do that for cryptocurrency. How do I set up a cryptocurrency wallet? How do I set up a miner? Uh, and so I kind of immediately jumped into that role of just being a, a general purpose consultant for people. And ever since then, it, it transitioned into blockchain as the industry started getting interested in not just cryptocurrency and, and digital money, but how to use blockchain technology for all sorts of things. Wonderful. So tell us, uh, where are you from? Uh, Arlington, Texas. So Arlington. right outside of Dallas, right next to the Cowboy Stadium, Ranger Stadium, and now Esports Stadium. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about Esports Stadium. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Oh, yeah. It's brand new. I think it's the largest in North America right now. Yeah. So we've got that. I went to a Counter-Strike 
tournament there a couple of months ago. They even had a fire that came up out of the floor when one of the teams won. So wow. they've really gone for presentation value. Yeah, you've got to love how esports have just come out and really, I mean, to, to many of us, seems like out of nowhere, but I know they've been doing a lot of these tournaments and uh, for a long, long time, and it's cool to see that a place like Arlington has embraced it so much so that they build a stadium for it. Oh, yeah. Even it seems like all of Dallas is I think every major sports owner in Dallas now owns an esport team as well, like Mavericks, Rangers, Cowboys. Everyone's like there's money here. And, you know, it's not hard to understand how they'll make money. It's the same thing. So tell us, you've been here for a while um, and at least in the Dallas area. How has it evolved? You know, how's how do you see the Dallas innovation scene these days? Uh, It's changed a lot. And as well as my perspective, because I started out in Arlington, and Arlington is very much focused on uh, the entertainment industry or on uh, manufacturing, like the Ford plants. That's right. And so I, I started out there, and then I started moving, started going to Dallas for Bitcoin meetups and started to learn a little bit more about the city there. Um, and I think the thing of, especially after traveling a little bit, uh, once I got out of high school, I realized that it seems like Dallas is a very interesting place in the sense it's like a combination of New York and... Uh, San Francisco, but with Texans living in it, perhaps, because yeah. it, it has a, it has elements of everything, and that includes technology. So there's tech, a focus on the corporate side uh, as well as startups, yeah. and it seems like right now we're known for the amount of corporate headquarters here in Dallas, but the startup scene is starting to to finally take off. It seems. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting you brought up New York. I think we don't get enough credit for what a melting pot we've become. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've met, like, before I even went to college, I met all, all, all sorts of backgrounds just in Arlington, which is probably not the most diverse city, but it definitely has enough of a mix that, like, I've, like I've touched every single culture, every major culture, at least, uh, without really leaving the DFW area. And so when I go around and travel, it's like, I kind of at least have a good starting point with people that are, like, you know, people that came to America and had kids, and I grew up with their kids, and so I got kind of a, a secondhand account of yeah. what's like a lot of these other countries. Like I went to Jordan for two weeks because a, a high school friend of mine who had dual citizenship. And so I got to mm. see the Middle East for the first time. Very cool. Okay, so let's jump into blockchain. All right. Start us off very fundamentally. What is it? How does it get applied? You know, just give it to us in layman's terms. You know, <laughs> a way that uh, our listeners, all of us can really understand what blockchain is. So uh, I would say a, a blockchain is a very simple data store at its very core. It's a way to store data and basically allow it to be stored in a distributed manner. So everyone has access to a copy. Everyone can replicate a copy if they wish. And then any, anyone can validate that the copies are legitimate. And uh, this is especially good for money. And that's where blockchain started out. It's still probably where blockchain is best. Uh, because being able to validate that I own five bitcoins and you, Andrew, own 10 uh, is very important when I then want to send my five bitcoin to someone else. Let's say I send you that five bitcoin and then I try to send it to someone else right after. Um, then knowing that you you receive that five bitcoin before that other person um, receives theirs is a very important uh, distinction. It's something you need to know for sure. It's not like, uh, so it's not just as simple as copying data and then distributing to everyone, you have to keep it consistent. You have to keep it valid. Uh, and so that's where blockchain becomes incredibly valuable. It's kind of like a uh, BitTorrent where you can pirate movies, um, but it adds an extra layer on top of it, which is keeping keeping everyone on the same page. So it's not yeah. it's not good enough to just distribute data. You have to keep it valid. And that's how you can suddenly you know build a decentralized uh, monetary system. 
you know, the way I kind of viewed it and I'll even sometimes try to explain it to people is like, you know, the, the blockchain actually enables you to move on for other use cases that we're kind of seeing developed today. Yeah. And, and so you started Tarski Technologies, right? Yep. And it's a blockchain consulting company and, yep. and development company. Tell us more about that, some of the projects you've taken on and the, the use cases out there that you're seeing and, and talking with a lot of companies. Sure thing. So we're, we're almost a year old now. We started officially uh, in January of 2019. Uh, I started it with my uh, partner, Hamza Azad. He actually had a long background at Ericsson uh, running their blockchain uh, technology initiatives and trying to find a lot of use cases for telecom. And uh, he left uh, a few years ago, and we both met each other through the Dallas blockchain ecosystem and startup scene. Uh, we very quickly hit it off. We realized we were very we were on the same page about a lot of things. We thought blockchain technology is going to be big. We knew it was going to be very impactful. And we knew that a lot of uh, corporations were not really preparing themselves for that. And they were likely going to need help at some point down the line when that was, when they realized that they were going to have to start to adopt to this technology. So uh, we built the company specifically so that we could help both corporations and smaller businesses uh, adopt technology, figure out how it affects their strategy, and then build products or services that they'll need. And I know you guys are working on a project um, for a friend of mine. You're actually on his team, um, Trey Hubler. Yep. Shout out to Trey, um, a founder, a co-founder of Series Technologies. Um, they're doing something quite remarkable, I think. I mean, they're utilizing blockchain and Internet of Things to really create a supply chain tracking solution, right? I mean, yep. Tell us about that. Highlight that a bit. And what, what are you doing specifically for them? Yeah, so that was that's actually one of my first big projects, and I've really enjoyed it. So I've been working with Cray for the last two years now, and uh, they brought me in initially because they were looking at blockchain. Uh, they, this was the early days of series. They were just trying to figure out, like, they understood the problem that they had in supply chain. How do we solve it? Uh, and they had started looking at blockchain. So I got brought into the project through a mutual friend, uh, and I started to help them out with, okay, here's where blockchain technology is today. Um, here's how we can start to, to implement it in the roadmap. And uh, they originally we were looking at doing with like a cryptocurrency, like maybe even an ICO. Um, and this is, this is when ICOs were very hot, but we, we quickly moved away from that because that ultimately wasn't going to be beneficial for the end consumer. Uh, so we focused entirely on, okay, how do we do IoT tracking with, uh, with blockchain technology? And that's basically any data that comes in through our IoT devices when we're tracking a shipment. And we specifically, we focus on coffee right now and we're looking at other markets. Oh, very nice. But, um, with that data coming in through an IoT device, we wanna make sure that you don't just trust us or just the IoT device. We wanna make sure that once it, it comes through that IoT device, uh, it's not just held in our database, it's also uh, validated on a blockchain. And so that's what we yeah. specifically do. And that IoT device, what's it tracking? Uh, it's tracking temperature, humidity, location, uh, as well as any other potential, potential factors that a client might need. So for coffee, humidity and temperature is the most important thing for figuring out if the quality is good. Although if you were looking at uh, other plants or commodities that have a, a shelf life, then you would be, you know, you might have other parameters as well. That sounds awesome. I'm going to have to have Trey on the show oh, sometime yeah. soon. I mean, when we've, when we've talked, he talks a lot about how, I mean, there's so much spoilage that occurs, um, it's, it's in, horrifying in the shipment of food and so much money wasted. And even just, I think there's a, a level of confidence that a consumer gets when they know where their foods come from. Yeah. So, you know, he provides a technology that really takes, and in this case, coffee from you know, the farmer to your cup. Yeah. Right? 
And the big thing with uh, the coffee industry right now, especially for the, the specialty growers that we focus on, is uh, quality is really difficult to guarantee when you have no control of your supply chain. Yep. Like Walmart has trouble guaranteeing quality, and they, they have a lot more control. And mm -hmm. even then, like I've heard like 70% of, or I'm sorry, um, only 70% of that food actually like gets to the shelf and gets bought, like the rest of it's spoilage. And that's a best case scenario. So imagine that scenario for someone who is just, who has no control of their supply chain. They're just a grower in El Salvador and they're trying to get their product into the United States. Mm -hmm. um, it shows up late, it shows up spoiled, and then a roaster looks at the coffee and thinks, well, I guess the farmer shipped me bad coffee instead of maybe it was actually the transit. So what our, what our technology does is it helps uh, validate that the quality of that coffee when it left the farm was good. And if there's something wrong in transit, you can also see where it is that specifically yeah. occurred and you can start to control for it and say like, maybe we shouldn't use this carrier or maybe we shouldn't uh, ship through this route because we can see that we're consistently getting spoilage at that specific point instead of just knowing that somewhere in the supply chain, something went wrong. Right. And the, and the other benefit is if you get this in real time using uh, 4g technology, you can also see, Hey, this tech, this might be coming in late or uh, this product might already be spoiled. Let's go ahead and order some That's more. Incredible. So you can really, you can uh, really improve on turnover and uh, yeah, basically prevent the situation where coffee right. shops can't sell coffee because their coffee never came in. Got it. Okay, so Ceres is a good example of a startup uh, you guys are working with. How about, do you, do you take on any projects with large corporations? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're actually working on a project through the University of Texas at Dallas right now, which is uh, my, cool. my university. I just graduated from there. All right. uh, but Tarski Technologies offices out of the university, they have a co-working space there. And uh, where what I'm doing right now is I'm actually working with uh, Toyota on a blockchain supply chain solution. And this is like very early in the works. It's essentially a proof of concept to see uh, if we can, we can validate some assumptions, but it, they're really looking to solve a lot of problems they have with recalls. And so we have a large development team that is currently working on the problem. Uh, they like to call it like the skunks work, skunk works of Toyota. We're kind of off on the side doing our own thing, uh, but we're specifically focused on, you know, how can we solve a lot of supply chain issues with blockchain? So that's outstanding. Sounds like a, a fun project. Oh yeah. So you mentioned UT Dallas. You know, they've done so much in, I think, transforming the whole innovation entrepreneurship landscape here in, in Dallas. Um, this program that they serve these large corporations through, I think it's it sounds like a fascinating program. Oh yeah. Can you speak more to that. Yeah, and it's it's not even just one program. It's, it's I think it's really just the university at its core that does that and the way they work with corporations. Because it was its history is actually that it got started by Texas Instruments, and they specifically wanted an, an, an MIT of the West is what they were looking for. They wanted a a research focused university here in their backyard that they could work with on uh, solving a lot of technical challenges that they had. And as well as, you know, recruit uh, new staff out of it. So we, the University of Texas at Dallas has always worked really closely with local corporations. And uh, there's several programs that they work with. Ceres was actually a part of one of them. Uh, oh, cool. U, the UT Design Project. So I actually did, even though I was working, I've been working on Ceres for two years, when I was about to graduate, um, they had a program where for $10,000, you can actually sponsor uh, a project with the university for students to work on. Um, for a whole semester for their university capstone. So I actually yep. got uh, serious to sponsor my university capstone. So I just continued to work on the same startup I was working on before, but as part of my, um, mm -hmm. essentially it's graduation. Um, so that's a great program. But for what Toyota is doing, that's actually a case where we're working with the financial engineering department uh, and they're sponsoring that project through, um, 
uh, the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. So oh, there's, very a, cool. there's a lot of moving pieces in that particular project. So it's, yeah. it's a lot bigger with Toyota involved, but they, they do the same thing. They're already talking to JP Morgan and a few others to yeah. see like, yeah, very cool. what can we continue to work on for blockchain? I don't think enough people really realize how great of a program, how great of a school UT Dallas is. You know, it's, it's an outstanding place. Um, I, when I, I, I visited um, the Innovation Center there as part of a, a Capital Factory event that they were doing. And I, I think they mentioned they're one of the top five producers of computer scientists in the nation. Yeah, it, as far as we have a massive computer science department. Yeah, like yeah. It's, I think it is the biggest department in the school. It's recently named one of the best colleges for AI. Yeah, yeah, we've got a, and it's because they have a massive focus on the research right now. Yeah. And um, UTD actually started out as a graduate school and they added undergrad programs in the 80s and 90s. And so their graduate programs are even That's more cool. mature because yeah. they've, they've just hit 50. So they've had 50 years to grow that program, get a lot of uh, very good faculty working on the research side. I've gotten to work with a couple of them. Um, and they've actually, one of the guys that I was, uh, that spoke at my graduation, Brian Hong, he actually founded their AI club and now does a um, uh, startup called Survivor, where he's working with police, uh, basically building systems in VR for police training. So wow. the fact that it was, it's a university that encourages you to build clubs. So I built a blockchain club as well. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so it encourages you to build clubs, work with departments there, and then as well as like pursue startup opportunities. So all of those things are readily available at UT Dallas. And I've, that's, that was probably the biggest advantage that I had from going to UTD is the fact that it was a, it was a school that it is growing. It's still very new. Uh, so it gives its students a lot of room to grow as well and to build, help build part of that ecosystem. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great place. I think corporations really should look to them for um, recruiting efforts, for projects, um, you know, all sorts of opportunities to improve themselves. So um, let's, let's take a look kind of behind the curtains a bit. Um, tell us a bit about how your innovation process or really how you, you know, when you, when you go to, st to solve a problem, you take on a client problem, you know, what are the steps you take to resolving that? Gotcha. So usually if, if my client is really coming in with the idea of that blockchain can solve their problem, my first, uh, my first goal is to test that assumption and really see, are you trying to solve a blockchain problem or you're just trying to solve a problem with blockchain? Ah, um, it's a big difference. Yeah, and that's something that I think it's just the fact that because blockchain is such a, a new technology and it hit the scene so quickly in the last year or two that a lot of, a lot of the use cases people have seen has kind of been misconstrued as, okay, well, this can solve my data uh, model problem, or this can solve my uh, like payment problem. And it's like, well, maybe we have to figure out what right. exactly your problem is. And, and really the core is, do you have, do you have an ecosystem with multiple parties that you can't implicitly trust? And uh, is there something there that can be automated with blockchain technology? It's like, kind of like automating trust almost. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you really need? Otherwise, like they, we've had people come to us specifically to solve something that is merely more of a, a data structure problem. And we've actually had to just say, no, actually blockchain's not gonna, it, it can work in here, but you're really just doing overkill. You can just do this with normal, uh, get some people that understand data analytics, or you maybe you just need to re, rebuild your database, something like that. Like there's a lot of problems that have come through that are really not blockchain specific. So that's the first stage. And then mm -hmm. If it is a blockchain problem, if there's a, a problem to solve there with blockchain, then it is, okay, what kind of blockchain? Uh, and the big difference there is typically, is it a public blockchain or is it a private slash permissioned blockchain? And uh, those are very, 
very different engineering efforts. Public blockchains are like Bitcoin uh, as well as Ethereum, um, where they are public. Anyone can run a node. Anyone can access it. It's very similar to the internet. In a permission blockchain, uh, it's more like an intranet. It's something mm. that has a lot more administrative control, uh, definitely something that a corporation might be more amenable to, uh, where the, the data access is more controlled, there's more privacy, and it's more scalable. You can do a lot more transactions per second. You can process a little bit more data uh, just because it's not so spread out. With the blockchain system, everyone who's running a node has to maintain data, has to process, has to be part of consensus, has to help come to agreement on everything that's being put through that system. In a public ecosystem, it, it can be very costly. You get a large, you get a high degree of trust. It's like for money, it's great because you know for sure that a Bitcoin transaction will never be rolled back uh, once it's been confirmed. But for something like tracking a supply chain, that's not always something that is entirely necessary. You might want to go with something a little bit slimmer, like a permissioned blockchain. Yeah. And it's unalterable, right? Yeah. I mean, once once it's got once it's stored in the blockchain, nobody can go in there and change anything. You can't change that record. Yeah, and, and I will I'll give a caveat to that, which is uh, a computer scientist would want me to say it's highly improbable that will ever be changed, but practically it's impossible. And the reason for that is uh, with Bitcoin, you actually have these these miners, these proof of work miners, putting massive amounts of computation into adding every block, and it's kind of like uh, just an entry fee or a participation fee. And it's ultimately something that says like these miners are putting enough value into the system to incentivize themselves to protect it. So if a miner wanted to cheat, then they would have to undermine the value that they've already generated by being a miner. Like a miner is earning Bitcoin by running their node. And if they tried to cheat on Bitcoin, there's two outcomes. They would either uh, basically, they would fail and they would lose all of the value that they've tried to generate or they succeed and the value that they are stealing, essentially the Bitcoin they're stealing is now undermined because everyone can immediately see that there's been a hack and the value of Bitcoin goes down. So it's a system where no one's incentivized to cheat because it's going to be a lose-lose scenario. And that's that's really why blockchain is valuable. And, and a lot of people have thought that it's because they are, you know, they've created a unique way to use cryptography or they have solved what is called the Byzantine generals problem. It's really none of that. It's the fact that they have, that, you know, Bitcoin has created a way for people to be incentivized uh, to never act against the interests of the whole network. And that's, that's where blockchain has become very valuable. And that's, that's true for either a public ecosystem or a permissioned ecosystem. The, the difference is just how you're going to create those incentives. So where do you think we'll be in, in 10 years with blockchain? Man, it, it's, it's going to be wild because I can't, like if you had asked me two years ago, I wouldn't have actually thought we were this far along. Three wow. years ago, you might've, I might've thought we would have already been further along, but I was quickly hit with, um, you know, after working in the industry a little bit longer, you get hit with the fact that, you know, this technology will take a little time to mature, a little time to grow. Uh, but yeah, ever since big corporations like IBM, and a lot of the big consulting groups started to realize like blockchain technology was big. Like now we have the Federal Reserve and the right. IMF and even Facebook talking about the technology and putting real resources into understanding it and building it. So I don't know, I don't know where we're going to be, but I think it's going to become a very core part of the internet in the sense that uh, there are applications we use on the internet that use blockchain. We might not even know it in the same way that people don't know uh, all the protocols behind email, but they use email as a daily driver. They don't know how to live without it. And I think blockchain is going to be in a similar situation where it's, it's become a core part of our infrastructure. How long does it take to get blockchain integrated into a, a company situation? 
So that's it's definitely a big question on what they're what they're doing. Right, it's pretty open ended. But it can be it can be simple. It can be hard. I would say the simple way is that if they're looking for a way to create an immutable data trail, if they want to make sure the data that they have in their system is is immutable, and so they want to provide a guarantee to someone outside of their system that they have not been modifying data after the fact. So a good example would be once they publish their quarterly earnings, uh, they don't want to all the value all the accounting they did leading up to that quarterly report, they want to say like, all these books are valid and we're not going to change them after the fact. In that case, they can create a, an immutable hash of all of their data, a unique hash where if you change the data, even just a little bit, that hash is going to be radically different. You can take that hash, put it on a blockchain, store it there. So you don't have to store all of your data, just a very simple hash. Then that hash uh, can be a unique identifier. So when a regulator, for example, goes back through your books, they can compare your books against that hash and say, I see you haven't modified your books after the fact. So, you know, for example, if you get a tax audit, it's a way to prove to the IRS you're not committing fraud. And it's something that they can use to, to get further validity, but it can apply to all sorts of scenarios. It can apply to, for example, a company being acquired and having their books checked by the, the M&A. Um, it can, there's a lot of scenarios that it can apply to. Got it. Got it. So let's switch gears a bit. Um, what do you wish you'd... What could, if you could go and tell your younger self something, you know, something you could learn from, something to avoid or something, you know, you wish you had known when you were younger, what would that be? It would be focused more on learning what you're currently doing than worrying about it working out, uh, ah. especially for a startup process and consulting in general. So there's a lot of times that I was very stressed and I just felt like I wasn't doing enough to keep up. I, like there were times, for example, when Bitcoin and cryptocurrency really exploded. I got clients calling me every day. I couldn't handle them all. I and mean, I felt bad because I was like, well, I can't like, there's all this value there that I could be like, I could help these people out. I could also be making money myself. Like, God, I wish, like, why am I not more prepared for this kind of scenario? And like, looking back, I'm like, well, okay, I was a student in college at that time. Uh, I had, you know, I was, it was just me running the company and I had some consultants working for me, but ultimately I was the one that, you know, was incentivized to really make things happen. Uh, it, like I really got a lot done, uh, you know, and that was also the same time I was running the blockchain club. So it was like, okay, there was all these things going on. I actually, considering everything, I actually got a lot done. And if I had focused more on just learning from that experience and saying, okay, what am I going to do better next time? Uh, I think even though I've still learned a massive amount, I think right. back then I wish I had focused more on just, you know, just focus on learning, documenting maybe what you're doing currently. And then, you know, use this as an opportunity to go back later and improve. I think I'm with you on that one. You know, if I could go back, I'd say just learn as much as you can. Don't worry about, of course, you want to worry about grades, but <laughs> I think it's, it's more learning to supplement your knowledge rather than learning to try to just pass a test or do well on a test. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the one thing I definitely learned in college is that even, even professors, if you talk to them outside of the classroom, they have a very different vibe and there's all, there's, there are professors that were terrible teachers, but they were absolutely incredible to talk to. Like where like I couldn't yeah. learn a damn thing in their class. I sit down right. and uh, like they just read off the slides and I'm like, well, this is just, this is boring. I could have read this at home. Uh, but if I came to their office hours and sat down with them, like suddenly they tell me about their careers. They tell me about the research they're currently doing. Like I've learned a massive amount just from like, like there are times when I would say if I have spare time, I just walk through the offices in the computer science department and there's, there's a professor's door open that I know. I just walk in and start talking to them. And that's where right. I got a lot of knowledge and, and actually some opportunities as well. I went to a, a conference in Croatia for cryptography because a professor that I was uh, taking at that time for cryptography had recommended it and said, this is like, if, 
if you want to go somewhere and learn cryptography, go to this. And it was actually a little overwhelming because it was all PhD candidates trying to figure out what they're going to do for research. But I, I absorbed as much as I could and got a, a heck of a vacation out of it at the same time. Nice, very nice. So who or what has influenced you the most? I have to think there's, there's a lot of people that have influenced me. I would think like the, the best answer to that would probably be the adult leaders in my Boy Scout troop. And that's just because even though like there's a lot of people that have influenced me as far as like what I've been learning and a lot of mentors, but as far as who I am as a person, that's been the biggest influence because there was no incentive at the time for them to put as much work in as they did other than the fact that they wanted it to be a great experience for the, for the scouts and looking back on it, like seeing how much time I have and how much time I put into my work versus like extra opportunities that I have, like personal uh, connections that I have and try to see friends. Like it's difficult doing that time management. And yeah. these were guys that they built entire sheds. They basically ran a pseudo company for the troop. You know, they were running fundraising, they were organizing uh, events and then we were going on like week long hikes out to uh, Philmont Scout Ranch, which was one of the largest scout ranches in the world, which has like a year long waiting list. Our scoutmaster wow. was always on top of that. And the fact that our troop was pumping out Eagle Scouts uh, like a factory because wow. our scoutmaster understood the process. And I think they, they always made a joke about our scoutmaster. We called him uh, Mr. J. And he would always basically say like, yeah, your next next quarter, we're going to raise your salary because of the uh, the benefits that we've seen uh, this last quarter. Performance has been great, wow. of course, but he yeah. never got paid because he was that was just something he did uh, because he, he loved doing it and because he cared a lot about the scouts that were were being produced by the troop and the fact that we have a, I had a very good understanding of not just how to be responsible and uh, take some initiative, but also right. funny enough, bureaucracy, because you have to find out, fill out a lot of forms for merit badges and scout forms. And I understood the importance of just getting that done and then being able to focus on what really matters, which was, were the service projects, the campouts, what you learned at the merit badges. Yeah. It teaches a lot about you know, values, right? I mean, yeah. it buys discipline, Seems I've only heard great things about the scouts. Yeah, and it's it went through an interesting time where they were they were worrying about uh, really the the fact that they had a uh, the LGBT issues that they had back in 2012, and I I feel really bad about that because I was in a, funny enough like I'm bisexual and several of ours our other people in our troop were uh, either gay or bisexual and no one really cared, uh, but it really just seemed to depend on which troop you were in. And it was just a shame because scouts kind of got hit by both sides. They didn't take long enough to say like, yes, we'll just, we'll allow any scout um, who's gay to be part of the troop. They took too long on that and they lost a lot of people on the left. And then they, when they did it, they lost a lot of people on the right and they just get, got hit by both sides. And it's a wow. shame because despite the politics of it all, it, it, it really is a fantastic institution for like any, any youth that's just trying to figure out like, how do I go beyond what I learned in school? How do I actually learn to uh, like be a well-rounded individual? That's, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that doesn't get enough focus in today's world, especially when yeah. you don't have as many adults that have time to, to make that experience as good as it was for me. That's good. How about how about we switch gears? Let's get into the lightning round. All right. <laughs> this should be fun. It, it, it just gets uh, go through some, some personal questions. Not too personal, but uh, what's your coffee of choice? Ooh, um, black coffee. And if I had to go with a brand, I'd probably say, um, oh, what is it? Uh, oh, um, kicking horse. Dang. It's a very, okay. it's a good dark. Coffee. Sounds like it should give you a good kick. Yes. I think someone on their, um, Amazon reviews quoted it as 
Uh, I'm a sergeant in Afghanistan, and this keeps me awake at night so the tab- Taliban can't sneak up on me. So <laughs> I don't know if that was real okay. or not, but it definitely uh, describes the intensity. Yeah. Or how about any coffee that that was tracked with Ceres technology? Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot, there of, uh, lot of good coffee I've had because of that. <laughs> I mean, at, at some point, I was paid in coffee. Nice. What's your adult drink of choice? Uh, right now, I've after a lot of uh, after-hours discussions with some startup partners that... Um, sometimes required drinking. I've definitely gotten more into whiskey on the rocks. And uh, nice. currently I'm drinking a uh, Nika coffee grain. That's coffee with a Y, so it's not coffee tasting. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that's actually, it's related to the brand that won coffee, like Whiskey of the Year, and I picked that up in Japan uh, nice. a couple of weeks ago. Really nice. enjoying that. Definitely recommend it. I'm going to have to give it a try. I'm a bourbon drinker. I love it on the rocks, usually a Woodford or Makers. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, Makers is a good one. Makers I did a lot in college. Nice. Uh, is there something you're learning about right now? Uh, right now I'm learning, I'm actually digging a lot more into Python. And uh, that's because I've, for prototyping anything, especially for clients that want something that they might have to pass on to other developers or they want to just, they want to see it work before they really have to focus too much on optimization. Python is really good because it's just a very clean, straightforward language. It has a lot of libraries supporting it. Um, it's, it's just like, it's a fantastic language and I'm learning more about not just how to write in Python, but how to do it in kind of the, the Python way. They call it Pythonic. Okay. So, and that's, that's been a great process. There's a book I'm reading right now that is called Fluent Python that gets really into the details. Nice. Okay. So, uh, what podcast are you listening to right now besides this one? Ooh, <laughs> uh, there's actually a podcast that came out just today or yesterday. Um, it's called, uh, Supernova in the East by Hard. It's a hardcore history podcast with Dan Carlin. Dang. And those are, oh man, that would, I, I remember seeing it, it's four hours and 30 minutes long. I'm only 30 minutes in, uh, but it's wow. entirely about how quickly Japan modernized from like the 1850s, like starting with the 1850s where like America showed up and said, hey y'all, like knock, knock, this is America. You should trade with us or else we have really big boats with guns, gunboats. Wow. And immediately like realizing that if, and this was like at the time they were, a fe- they were literally a feudal society that had like still samurai. And then realizing that, like looking around the world, seeing all these colonial powers, they had to modernize quickly if they were going to like stay on the up and up. Like within a generation, they were an industrial power that was able to beat Russia in a in a war in right. uh, 1905. So the fact that they did that so quickly, and then immediately uh, how it led up to World War II, because it kind of like put them on a track of of expansion that they like couldn't even stop. It was something they couldn't even help themselves with. Wow. So you big history buff? Oh yeah, definitely very big. All the history podcasts, I listen to them very intensely. Incredible. Yeah, you know, it's, as I've gotten older, I've found a, a more, I've, I've really come to appreciate history a lot more. Yeah, it helps you appreciate the troubles we have now because it's like, it's in a lot of ways, they're the same problem. They're just with like better uh, living situations. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, definitely a morning person now. It used to be night uh, in college, uh, and that was probably more of my fault. But since I started doing uh, consulting full time, uh, doing mornings is definitely a good time to get my work done, work out, things like that. Very cool. Uh, and what about routines you set for yourself? You mentioned the morning and the workouts and all that. What else have you set for yourself? Uh, separating like either coding or architecture that I'm doing for a client versus like the actual client meeting, because there was something where it was like you're trying to just sometimes if you're either on the road or you're just, you know, there's a lot of different projects you're working on at that time. You just kind of fill in time where you can. And I feel like I actually worked less productively that way. And I've recently realized where like, for example, in the morning, I'll focus on 
uh, the coding or writing up architecture or like some, you know, brain intensive activity. And then usually after lunch in the evening or um, in the afternoon and evenings, then I like answer emails, actually have client meetings. And I've, I've typically found that's better. If I start out really strong, get like the really cognitively intense things out of the way first and then move into just, you know, talking to people, working through some projects, getting, uh, doing communication essentially. And then into the evening where you kind of just trail off. Got it. What are you looking forward to the most each weekend? Uh, there's usually something different I'm doing every Saturday uh, on top of just kind of being a little bit lazy if I can be. <laughs> and then um, on Sundays, I usually like going to a coffee shop and reading a book. Uh, Communion Coffee in Richardson is currently my favorite. I've actually, that, that factored into the house I moved into recently wow. because it was just down the road. And that's, yeah, that's a, if you're ever in Richardson, that is currently my favorite coffee shop in Dallas. It says a lot about a coffee shop. Oh yeah, they re- they recently they actually refactored it out of a uh, a mechanic shop, and then they added on a lot. They actually added on a new coffee uh, shop branch. They have a I recently saw there's a distillery moving in next door, so it's just a very and they have a co working space, so they have a lot yeah. of a lot of interesting amenities. All to check one. it out, very cool. All right, so you survived the lightning round. Sweet. <laughs> so tell us, uh, how would a customer or client get started with you? How should they reach out to you? Um, the easiest way to reach out is either on LinkedIn. Uh, if you look me up, Michael Llewellyn, it's easy to find me. I'll have blockchain in the tagline. And then um, you can go to my website, tarski.tech, T-A-R-S-K-I dot tech, T-E-C-H. And uh, we have a contact me form there. You can read a little bit about us and our projects and then uh, reach out to us through the email there. Wonderful. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Uh, thank you all for listening to the Dallas Space Innovators podcast by Louderco. I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.